You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. was is lost for none now live who remember it it began with the forging of the great rings three were given to the elves immortal wisest and fairest of all beings Seven to the Dwarf Lords, great miners and craftsmen of the mountain halls. And nine, nine rings were gifted to the race of men who above all else desire power. For within these rings was bound the strength and will to govern each race. But they were all of them deceived, for another ring was made. In the land of Mordor, in the fires of Mount Doom, the Dark Lord Sauron forged in secret a master ring to control all others. And into this ring he poured his cruelty, his malice, and his will to dominate all life. One ring to rule them all. One by one. Three lands in Middle Earth fell to the power of the ring. Oh, now you're hooked, aren't you? <laughs> Those Lord of the Ring fans are out there like, no, you took cut it too short. So in this epic story of the Lord of the Rings, you have this, this, this beginning, right? Because in order for you to understand why Frodo is sitting under a tree and Gandalf comes through on his cart, you have to understand the backstory. You have to understand that this introduction gives you some understanding of how the story is supposed to progress. And as we jump into Genesis today, we are entering into a story, and the book of Genesis is the introduction to that story. It's the back story to the story of Israel's people, God's salvation. And so just like at the beginning of these great movies, it gives you the backstory and the context of how we got to where we are in the, in the narrative this is what we're going to have in the book of Genesis. So these 50 chapters that open the book of your Bible are the introduction. They're the backstory that leads us into the work of God. What we have is, is uh, Genesis is written by Moses, and Moses has just been used by God to bring the people of Israel, God's chosen people, out of Egypt. And now they're in the desert, and they're asking the big questions like, okay, well now what? Who are we? Where did we come from? This God that just did all of this crazy stuff, just demolishing Egypt and its gods, who is he? And where did he come from? We have his name, we have some traditions about him, and so Moses is writing down, under the inspiration of the Spirit, um, writing down these narratives, writing down this story of how the world began, how they got to where they are, and it's like the introduction to this movie there. You need to understand the backstory for you to understand who you are and what is happening. And so that's what we have in Genesis. We have this introduction to the story of God. The word Genesis uh, means beginning. You probably knew that already. The, the word Genesis means beginning. 
And this serves as the, I guess in, in a sense you could say that the Old Testament serves as an introduction to Jesus. So the big, the big chunk of your Bible there in the, in the first part, uh, those first 39 books of the Bible are in some ways an introduction to the saving plan of God. Why does Jesus need to come? Who are we? Who is God? Why is a Savior needed? Your Old Testament serves as a long introduction to the saving plan of God. Within that big introduction, you've got the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, which serve as an introduction to the Old Testament. And then within the Pentateuch, you have a, an, a, a beginning of the beginning of the beginning. You have an introduction to the introduction in, in, in Genesis. And then we get all the way to Genesis chapter 1, which is going to be the focus of our, um, of our message today, is in a sense the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. It is the very beginning point of the story of God, the story of Israel, the story of salvation, the story of the universe. And so where we come from, who we are, what is, uh, what is this God like, we're going to get all of that here in the book of Genesis. And so it's a little bit like Genesis 1 is sort of the, the, the big bang that leads to all the other stuff. It is the beginning point. It is the, the, literally the genesis of the whole story of God. And so that's going to be the focus of our time together today is Genesis 1-1, from which everything else expands. From this moment forward, we get everything else that God intends to do with his creation. Now, as we get into this Genesis series, there's a few things that I need to set some right expectations for us as we go through this book. Okay, so there's going to be some ways that maybe uh, we're going to have some challenges ahead with this book. We're going to have maybe some disappointments. You might be coming in with a ton of questions about Genesis um, that we may or may not actually answer as we go through this. And here's a few reasons why we want to make sure we have right expectations as we go into this book. One is that this book has its own context. Like I said, and it's not our context. This book was written by Moses to answer the big questions that the Israelite people are asking as they're in the wilderness. God has delivered them, but this God is still somewhat mysterious. They have these histories, these oral traditions, but they're in the desert, and they're all in on this God, and they're about to move into a promised land. And, and the book of Genesis is really, first and foremost, intended to give them an orientation on who God is, how they got there, and what God intends to do with them. So we have to come to the Bible not with our South Dakota 2021 context, we need to make sure that we're taking the Bible in its context and understand what it's trying to say at its time. Secondly, the book of Genesis has its own purposes. So, and it's not always our purposes. So we might come to the book of Genesis looking to find certain things. Uh, we may have an agenda for the book of Genesis, but we've got to let Genesis set the agenda for us. Genesis is, has a purpose of its own, and we owe this document, we owe this book, the right to set its own agenda. So you might be coming into this series with a certain purpose of what you want to get out of Genesis. And I would just encourage you to let Genesis set the purpose for us. Okay, so Genesis has a purpose that might be different than yours. Different context, different purpose. It is doing its own thing. And then third, Genesis also has, it, it's written in ancient Hebrew. It's not written in the Western world. It's written in ancient Hebrew to people who think like ancient Hebrews. We're talking like 1400-ish BC or so that this book is written to a people in a desert who speak Hebrew. And we're now living through a translation and all this time and a lot of historical events that have shaped our minds, have shaped the way we view reality. And so we need to just keep in mind 
that this book has its own context that's different than ours. It has its own purpose that might be different than ours. And it's written in a language that might say things and address things differently than we would. And we're reading a translation. So we are going to, at times, probably draw out some Hebrew words. We're going to try to, because our English doesn't always capture what the Hebrew does. Whenever you translate, you're making interpretive decisions, and sometimes a word doesn't necessarily match up. So I just say all that to say that we need to have a right expectation for this series, that we are going to let the text direct the questions. We're going to let it ask and answer the questions it wants to ask, and then if, if, it, if it works out that some of our questions get answered, that's bonus. But we need to come to this and just be humble enough to go, we're going to let this document set the agenda for us. And then we're just going to follow it wherever it leads. Okay? So I just want us to keep that in mind, that if, as we go through this sermon series, that we're understanding what is really happening here. And that uh, the Bible may have a different agenda than we do. And so we just want to submit ourselves humbly to this. Also, there is a long history, particularly in these first few chapters. This first chapter is maybe one of the most controversial in human history. Christianity and the Bible and science, like there has always been some tensions. There's going to be some questions here that have been asked for thousands of years. And we're not going to be able to always unravel all of those. So does that make sense? Genesis has at times... It has, over the history, uh, brought up some questions and had some tensions, particularly with science, that are not always easily reconciled. So I just want you to just be aware of what we're doing here. We're going to let the text go where it wants to go. We're going to let it tell the story it wants to tell. And we're going to let our questions take a back burner. We hope to answer them, but that is, uh, that's how we're going to approach this together. So let's have tons of humility. Let's make every effort to know what's actually being said. Let's let the story unfold the way it wants to unfold it. And let's ask, um, let's ask our questions, let's ask the questions it wants to answer. And let's kind of move to the back our questions and our things. We're going to try to address those. But it just, it, it's important for us to understand kind of what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with an ancient document. And we're dealing with events that seem strange to us that are uh, bef- uh, you know, beyond our ability to really test and witness. And so... Um, we're going to let the Bible do what the Bible wants to do and, uh, and then bring it around. So there's my introduction there. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, verse 1. Okay, Moses is writing this to the people in the desert. That's the first audience of this. has a lot to say to us as well. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seven words in Hebrew. Bereshith, bara, Elohim, and Hashemim, ah, haaretz. And so you've got it up there. I don't know. It's up there, I think, um, in Hebrew. If you want to kind of just know what the Hebrew language looks like, it reads right to left. Um, it, those little dots and line and squiggles and stuff are the vowels, the consonants. So it's just, it's a different kind of language. It just, it orients a little bit differently. So as we go through that, we're just going to have to be aware that, um, that we are dealing with an ancient document here. So notice right at the very start, the Bible opens with the word Bereshith, which means in the beginning. In the beginning. So we have a time marker. We have in the beginning, the beginning of what? Beginning of time. This is the beginning of all beginnings. The Bible is wanting to take us back to the beginning of everything. The beginning of all beginnings is the very first beginning. So the beginning of time and space and matter. And what do we find that already exists 
before everything else is God. The word for God there is Elohim, which anything that ends in Im is actually technically a plural word, but this is used as a singular. So Moses chooses a word which is fascinating, where Elohim is, is literally plural but used as a singular. And he uses this word that almost has this sense of like it's both plurality and singularity at the same time. We're going to see that come out a little bit when God, make, God creates, let us make man in our own image. We don't want to press that too far, but it is interesting that he picks a word that has both a plurality and a singularity in it to describe who this God is. We'll come back to that as we go down. But at the beginning of everything is a who, not a what, not matter, but a person. A person at the beginning. We have the word created, bara, which means produces, brings something out of nothing. There's a Latin term that Christians have understood this that means that God creates ex nihilo. Ex meaning out, nihilo meaning nothing. Ex nihilo. This is a being at the beginning of time that creates all other things that exist. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. God started with nothing but himself and everything came from this God. And then we have the heavens and the earth. Heavens, plural, Hashemim, and Zanim. Heavens, plural, earth, singular. I don't know. We'll kind of unpack that as we go. Heavens has three different meanings in Hebrew. It can mean just the sky, like where the birds fly. It can also, heavens can mean outer space, the stars of the heavens. And then heavens can also mean the, uh, the place where God dwells, the spiritual realm. So I, I, think it, I think we can kind of think that God creates all of those here. He creates the sky, the space. God creates even the heavenly realm that he himself dwells in. All of those things. God pre-exists all of those. God creates all of those. And I, I kind of think that's why it uses the term heavens is because it means heaven in every sense of the word. The sky, the space, the spiritual realm. God creates all of it. The heavens, plural, and the earth. And we see that that is a way in Hebrew of saying everything. There's a who at the beginning who is the source of everything. He is the beginning. So at the beginning, we have a who who makes all what's, makes all where's, makes all when's. He is at the beginning. So we already at the beginning here have two categories. We have two categories already being set up. We have things that are created Okay, things that are created, that's one category. And we have things that are not created. All right, so let's just think for a moment. Maybe the kids can help me out here. What are some things that are in the created category? Earth, very good. Heaven, yeah. What are some other things? Trees. Water. Sky. Planets, animals, yeah. Heaven, yeah. We've got that category. What is in the uncreated category? People, huh? What? Who's in the uncreated category? Be God. Is there anything else in the uncreated category? We have God and the persons of the Trinity. We'll get to that, yeah. We have God who is only one in the uncreated category. Not matter, not the universe, nothing, but God is in the uncreated category. And everything else is in the created category. You get it? 
That's what Genesis 1 is telling us. At the beginning, the most important fundamental truth that Moses could start with, of all the ways that he could start this narrative, he starts with there is something, one thing that is uncreated, and then that one uncreated thing made everything that is created. Everything else falls into this category. There's one over here, and there is everything else here. So what I want to do here is just say, I want to I give us six things that this verse tells us about the one who's in the uncreated category. Elohim, God. So this God, there's six things we can see in this verse, and then there's two things, we could think of more, but two, just for the sake of today, that fit in the created category. Okay? You ready? So over here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We learn that the one who is in this category, this one personal being, who is somehow kind of plural and singular at the same time, we realize in this verse that he is, first of all, he is eternal. He's eternal. Because he predates time. Everything else has a beginning point. Everything in this category has a beginning point. But there is one in this category who has always existed. He predates time. He is the creator of time. He is eternal. He is the only thing. Only things in this category are eternal. So he's eternal. He's, he had no beginning. In the beginning, there was one who had no beginning. He is eternal. Secondly, he is sufficient. He's sufficient. And what we mean by that is that God doesn't need anything else to exist. A uh, theological word for this is aseity, the aseity of God, meaning from himself. He exists because he exists. He exists from himself. In fact, the covenant name that he gives Moses is that uh, Yahweh, I am that I am. I exist. I'm the fundamental reality. I am the being of all beings. I am the foundation of all other existence. He is sufficient. He is a, a say. He is of himself. So God is eternal. He is sufficient, the being in this category. And then thirdly, he's necessary. He's necessary. This being who's in this category is necessary because without him, there is nothing over in this category. He creates out of nothing. He's in this category. He's necessary. Without him, nothing else exists. If he were to go away... Everything else would go away with because he, everything is dependent on him. This verse is telling us that the being who existed before time, who is eternal, who is sufficient in and of himself, is also necessary. He is necessary for anything else to exist. All other reality sits on top of him. If he decided all of a sudden he didn't want things to exist, they would cease to exist. You would cease to exist if God simply stopped thinking of you. You would just be gone. He, your, his mind is necessary for everything else to exist and to stay existing. He alone is necessary. This world, if I was gone, I'm not necessary. This world would be just fine. I'm clearly in this category of the unnecessary, right? But God is in this category where everything else must have him to exist, okay? So he is Eternal, sufficient, necessary, and he's sovereign. The fourth thing we learn is that he is sovereign. He made it, therefore he's in charge. So, if my daughter Lydia were to draw a picture, she were to take her markers out and not draw on the table, but draw on the paper. Not on the table, but the paper. She would draw a picture of something, and then all of a sudden she wanted to put it up on her wall. She wanted to put it up on her wall. 
Now, she can do whatever she wants with that. She is sovereign. She made it. She owns it. If she made it, she owned it. It would be wrong for her brother to run in and tear it up. That would be a real violation because that's hers. But if she wanted to tear it up, who cares? She made it. It's hers. She can do what she wants with it. God created everything. So the one who's in this category, who made everything in this category, can do whatever he wants in this category. It's his. It belongs to him. So he has the right to do whatever he wants with this. It's his. So in this passage, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This being who is eternal, who is sufficient, who is necessary, is sovereign. He's sovereign. He owns all of it. Everything in this category belongs to him because he made it. And he has control over it. Everything in this category is accountable to operate in the way that this being wants it to operate. He's sovereign. He's king. He gets his way. The fifth thing that we learn here is that he is omnipotent. He's omnipotent because he made everything. He can make anything. Nothing exists without him, and he can make out of nothing. You and I cannot make out of nothing. We all have to start with something. Even the most creative people need to start with things God already supplied to him. You can't create out of nothing. He can. And if, he, if there is a being who is eternal, who is sufficient, who is necessary, who is sovereign, he must therefore be all-powerful because everything that does exist and any power that does exist has to come from him, right? This verse is telling us that he is omnipotent. He can make whatever he wants out of nothing. He can make matter just appear and disappear at his own will, his own choosing. And then lastly, number six, he's transcendent. So he is what? What's the first one? Eternal. He is sufficient. You guys are quiet. Necessary. Transcendent. Omnipotent. Oh, I'm sorry. Last one's transcendent, right? Sovereign, omnipotent, and then transcendent. Did I get it right? Okay. You keep me on track. Transcendent, which means that he is separate. He is not in this category. He's in this category. He's above it. He's transcendent. So think about this for a moment, that if you're the Jewish people and you have just come out of Egypt where there's all these creation myths about the gods and the gods fighting each other and then the gods tearing each other apart and then making seas and land out of the body parts of other gods and you've got just sort of like these semi-divine beings that are full of like, uh, they're just nasty and, you know, they're, they're warring with each other and they're, they're, they're creating. You've got these creation myths. And then you're a people that is just leaving Egypt who your God just totally owned and destroyed their gods. And you're about to pass through this desert and go into the land of Canaan where there's all kinds of other creation myths and other divine beings that, uh, or, or uh, legends about these divine beings and other myths. It is really, really helpful to know who your God is. In a place where there's regional gods and you've got all of these other myths going on, to know who your God is and to know that he is not subject, he is not enslaved to the chaos of the world. That he is not needed by his creation. He is transcendent. The other gods needed you to bring them grain and they needed you to bring them, they needed to do certain things, you had to do certain rituals in order to get them to bless your crops. It was like the gods needed your help because they're kind of stuck within this system too. But the Israelite God, Moses is presenting a God, the one true God is transcendent. 
He is not subject or dependent upon the chaos of the world. He stands outside of it. He's over it. He's, in some sense, unaffected in his being about it. Now, he cares about it because he created it, but he's transcendent. He's, he didn't make out of anything. He doesn't need any of this stuff. And so he stands on the outside and can actually do really good things in that world because he doesn't need any of it. He doesn't need any of it. He's totally self-sufficient. He's totally contented in himself. And he stands, while he's engaged in his creation, he also stands entirely outside of it and is able to then see clearly, understand what is really going on and not be affected in and of himself in his essence by the happenings on the earth. That is way different than any other myth about the gods at the time where you could manipulate the gods and the gods can defeat one another. To know that your God stands outside of this and is above all else is mind-blowingly awesome and so different than anything I think these Israelites would be seeing in the world around them. That the one true God is, first of all, what? Eternal. Awesome, you got it. That is all happening in this one verse. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's talk about two things I want you to see in this category. This this category was the what? Not created category, right? Or no, this is the created category, right? Not created. There's only one here. So everything else falls in this category, all right? Just two quick things for you. One is that everything in this category is dependent. You notice that? The being that's over here is not dependent on anything, but this, everything in this category is dependent on that being for everything. God has to keep the atmosphere just right so that you and I can breathe. God has to keep us at just the right distance from the sun so that we don't freeze, although (laughs) it feels freezing today, or burn up, right? Everything. Think about this. Everything in this category is dependent on that being. He changes his mind on something. He decides to do something different. I mean, we could just poof, cease to exist. We are entirely dependent on that being for everything that we have. All of us, everything in this category is dependent on that being. But secondly, everything in this category is designed. The word created is that God designed. And what did he design? everything the heavens are exactly the way at the beginning he wanted them to be god gets exactly what he wants and he designed a world he designed an earth he designed a universe and god gets what he wants in that sense it's designed it's interdependent you're not an accident the world is not an accident trees are not an accident The molecular structure of water, the operation of the human eyeball, those are not accidents. God designed them. And we see something really interesting in the design here is that God creates in these pairs. You're going to see this over and over again, these complementary pairs. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. We've got a complementary pair which symbolizes everything, symbolizes the whole universe, But he speaks of it in terms of prayer. So you're going to see that again, especially next week, as we look at this pairing. God loves to create in this complementary pairs. We're going to see that again and again. In the entire book of Genesis, you're going to see these pairs. You're going to see pairs of sons. 
You're going to see the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. You're going to see that God creates humanity with two genders. You're going to see that God has forming days and he has filling days. You're going to see that God loves to create in these complementary pairs. And we see that right away in the verse 1, is that God has a specific design on what he wants the world to do and to be like. And one of the things that we notice, one of the fingerprints of God, is that there are some of these complementary pairs that represent a whole, but there's some distinction even within the whole. Okay, so watch that as we go. So everything, the one being that's in this category is God, and he is eternal, sufficient, necessary, sovereign. I forgot the next one. Omnipotent. Transcendent, yep. And then everything in this category is what? Dependent on that being, designed by that being. What does that mean? What is the implications for our lives? Here's what the Israelites would have realized as Moses was unfolding these truths to them, explaining to them that really when it comes to understanding who you are and why you're here, you must first understand who God is and what he's doing. Who you are and what you're here to do is way down the list of things you need to know. The very first thing you need to know is who God is and what he's doing. That's the first truth that everyone has to get around their heads is that God is the primary reason. God is the primary purpose. God is the point of everything, this being. So the covenant God, think of this, the one who made covenant with them at Sinai the one who is fulfilling the covenant that he made to Abraham. This is all in their minds as they're in the desert. They're remembering some of these legends, and Moses is trying to get it really clear in their mind through the writing of the book of Genesis. But the one who just brought them out of Egypt, who just demolished the other gods, who is leading them in supernatural ways through the desert, this covenant God, Yahweh, is this covenant God who delivers Israel is also the supreme creator who made everything which means whatever land they go to, their God will be God there. That whatever things they encounter, their God is for them, is with them, has a plan. There's not going to be any place that they're able to go where their God doesn't reign and rule. With these regional gods at the time, this would be massively significant to understand that your God is God over their gods, and their gods are non-gods but your God is the one true God. The one who keeps covenant with his people is also the one who created everything. And he is in this category, he and he alone. And everything else in the world, not just the covenant people, but everything is in this category that is made to worship and glorify the one who is in that category. So God is the primary character of the Bible. Not you, not Israel, not Moses. God is the primary character of the Bible. So when you come to read your Bible, you're looking for God. You're not looking for life hacks for you, primarily. Maybe you'll get those sometimes, but primarily you're coming to the Bible for God and what God is doing. Discovering who he is and what he is doing is infinitely more important than discovering yourself and what you're made to do. He's, what, what, what is going on here is far more important than what's going on here right? God alone deserves your worship and highest allegiance. He is the only one in this category, therefore he's the only one worthy of our worship and the only one that can really satisfy. He's the only one that's actually necessary 
right? We have other things that we're dependent on. We're creatures in that sense. But in the ultimate sense, everything needs this being. So to be rightly related to this being is everything. To be wrongly related to this being is to lose everything, right? This is all in implications of verse 1. God alone deserves your worship and highest allegiance and total dependence. And all of existence is for the pleasure and glory of this being. This being sets the agenda for everything. He's the one uncreated being. He's the one that defines everything. He's the one that decides how things operate. And everything is for his pleasure and glory. And that's what's amazing. What we're going to see in the rest of Genesis chapter 1 is how much God delights in creating Each of the days, he says, and it was very good, which is an expression of his delight. God isn't creating a world because he's lonely. He exists in triunity. He is love in and of himself. He has always been contented and happy, and so he's not creating out of any sort of need in himself. He's creating out of the overflow of his own joy, and he wants to share that joy with a creation. And what an awesome invitation that we have. The one who's in this category longs to love all that are in this category and to be rightly related to them. What a wonderful um, opportunity that is in front of us, that that's the God who exists. And even though this thing gets way jacked up, he doesn't just start over with something else, but sets in in motion a plan to get what he intended from this all along and from us as well. All All of existence is for the pleasure and glory of this God who makes everything. So I want to take you to a couple of New Testament texts, three actually, which is more than a couple, three New Testament texts that I think connect to this. So we're at the very beginning of the Bible and we're looking way down the corridor of human history, of of universe history. We're at the very start of it and we're looking down the corridors, but at times we're going to peek ahead because I want you to see how these things are connected to Christ. As Christians, Christ is at the center of everything. So we're going to cheat in the story a little bit. We're going to flip to the back of the book a little bit and kind of see how some of these themes pull out. I'm going to just give you three quick texts here. John 1, 1 through 3. Sarah read it just a moment ago, but notice this. So think Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? Just keep those words in your mind and see if you see any of those words here. John 1, 1 through 3. Beginning of John's gospel. Look how he starts it. In the beginning. You ever heard that before? The very first book of the Bible starts in the beginning. And this narrative about Jesus that John wants to write, how does John choose to start it? He's not an idiot. He's not just guessing. He's doing something intentional. He wants you to see Genesis. He wants to, see, wants to show you a beginning here. And look at what he says. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is paralleling Genesis. In the beginning was what? In Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here he's saying in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And he's going to start with this concept of going, well, yeah, we've seen that before. That, that must be a divine. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. Okay. And then he unpacks it. The Word was, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the word was God. So somehow the same and somehow distinct. We have kind of a plurality and singularity at the same time. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, he's going to go on to say later in the chapter that he's speaking of Jesus of Nazareth. He's speaking of Jesus. Now, John is telling us which of the two categories is Jesus in. Is he in the created category? Or is he in the uncreated category? He was in the beginning and all things were made through him. Do you realize what he's saying? The man Jesus was with God and is the creator. Which means that those six things that we saw about God in Genesis 1 are true of Jesus. John is saying that. Everything that you see in Genesis chapter 1, yeah, that's Jesus. He's eternal. Jesus is sufficient. He's necessary. Jesus is sovereign, all-powerful, and transcendent. Jesus is not in the dependent category in that sense of a created being, although he takes on human flesh and then somehow straddles the two. Somehow he's the one that can connect the two. The two categories have become separated, and he alone can be in both the uncreated category in some sense and in the dependent he can somehow has the strength in and of himself to pull the two realities back together he alone is the one who can do that john 1 is telling us that jesus is the genesis 1 god the genesis 1 1 god who created all things he's eternal sufficient necessary omnipotent transcendent sovereign matthew 28 18 in the beginning was the word or no, 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 no. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Matthew 28, 18. So we get, fast forward to the end of Jesus' life. He does all his miracles. He does all his saving stuff, like dying and rising again. And he gives all of these instructions about how everything is connected to him, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the savior of the world, that he is the one that can bring the two realities together. The creator and its creation can be reconciled through him because he can pull the two together. And then look what he says in Matthew 28, 18, before he ascends into heaven. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in what? Heaven and earth has been given to me. Have you, have you heard heaven and earth before? Genesis 1. What does Jesus have authority over? Everything that falls in the category of heaven and earth. Right? Jesus has accomplished his mission. The reason that he came, he's about to ascend into heaven, and he now possesses total authority over everything in this category. Not only is he in that category, but he has now proven in front of eyeballs, human eyeballs, that he himself belongs as king over this category. Everything. Heavens and the earth. Jesus is not choosing those words by accident. I think there's a Genesis 1. Everything in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm in charge of this category. So you need to relate rightly because I'm king over this. So if you're in this category, Jesus is your king. Is your king. And the question is, do you bow to that king or do you resist that king? He, he is king of this category. That just is reality according to the Bible. But what is your disposition towards this king? What is your relationship to this king? He is the sovereign. Last one, Revelation 21.1. See if you don't hear this language again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. 
Then, this is at the end of the age, I saw a new what? Heaven and a new earth. Because this one got jacked up. But God isn't going to just leave it. To either just cease to exist because he's going to, because he could. He could just go, I'm done thinking about that and we'd be gone. He could throw the whole thing into hell immediately. But instead what he's going to do is he's going to take it, he's going to remake it. He's going to do a Genesis 1-1 kind of thing again. Except instead of doing it ex nihilo, he's going to take this warped little mess called our lives and our existence and our universe and he's going to do a new Genesis 1-1 event. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed, the sea, passed away and the sea was no more. So what we're going to find is at the end of the age, God is, God is not done working yet. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And things are going to get really weird and broken for a long time. And you feel that. Your life is broken in many ways. But there is a hope held out in front of us that this same God who's in this category, who created all the things in this category, that no matter how bad things get in this category, he's still in charge of this category and he's going to make it right. And then the question is, is you're on board, are you on board with that? The, to get on board with that new creation reality, this new heavens and the earth, this new beginning, this new Genesis, is to rightly relate to Jesus. Jesus is the one who pulls the realities together. He is the one who is king over these things. He is the one who is in this category. And we have an opportunity now to enter into a relationship with him. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's the call, is to follow him. To recognize that you're in this category, not this category. And you're in trouble because you're, you've got a broken relationship with that creator. The broken stuff that's happened over here, yeah, you've contributed to that. You have some ownership in that. Yeah, you've received some of that. You've all, you've been sinned against and you've got wounds, which Christ alone can heal. But let's be honest, you've also contributed to the dysfunction too. Of not rightly worshiping this creator, of not treating people and as you ought, like you're part of the problem in this category. But Jesus came to fix everything in this category. And if we will turn from our sin, turn from our own way of doing things, turn from being our own God, turn from thinking that we're in this category and rightly understand we're in this category and ask for grace from the one in that category, we can be made new. We can have a new creation happen in our own hearts and lives and we can be part of the new creation reality. We can be part of God saving the world now through the message of the gospel. So I would love for us to, right now, just hear what is being said and then what is being echoed through the rest of the Bible. We're going to find what went wrong here in just a few weeks and months, but there is this drumbeat of hope throughout the whole Bible that the God who made everything at the beginning will indeed, through the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus, will create again and indeed recreate the whole universe. If you want in on this, you simply turn in faith and full allegiance to the Elohim of Genesis 1-1 as revealed in Jesus. In the hope that he indeed is capable and assures that he can fix all of it, including you and me. That's the offer on the table. And Genesis 1-1 is just the very beginning point of that whole message. We're going to see how God continues to keep his promise to redeem and to recreate and to make new. We're going to get to trace, we're going to get to walk in those footprints 
as they work their way through Genesis. And we're going to keep peeking towards the end of the book because that's where we, that, that's where we find our hope. Is that the God who's going to make the promises that he makes in Genesis 1, we get to receive those in Christ and we're looking forward to the day when the whole thing is brand new. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for this document. Thank you for moving in history in such a way that Moses would write these things down for his people. But they tell our story. Those people are at the beginning point of our story. Those of us who trust in Jesus, those of us who maybe don't trust in Jesus is all. This is the story of everything. So God, we thank you that you are the kind of God that the Bible presents. And God, we thank you that Jesus Christ is who the Bible presents himself to be and that he is capable. He's not a weak savior. He's not a distant savior. He's not one that we just kind of are wishing things will work out with, but he has proven that he has all authority and to be rightly related to him is to be a part of the new creation reality that's coming. So God, I pray for these friends that are here. Pray that they would just be in awe of God. That they would want to know who you are and what you're doing more than who they are and what they're doing. And Lord, I pray that if they're not rightly related to Jesus, they would think seriously about that and maybe even in this moment cry out to for mercy. The dependent, uncreated, broken things crying out to the one who is perfect and holy, transcendent, eternal, sufficient, necessary. Cry out to that one for mercy and for kindness. And we thank you that you do not turn away anyone who comes to you through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this. We thank you that you've made it available to us. We thank you that you've explained it to us in your word. We pray uh, that our hearts would treasure it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.